0: Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 22nd, the Don't Fear the Diagnosis edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8,
1: and Teddy, who's 5. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's 9, and we live in Los Angeles, California. And I
2: am Casey Davis, author of How to Keep House While Drowning. I run the TikTok channel Domestic Blisters. And I have two little kiddos, two and four. And I'm in Houston,
0: Texas. Casey, we are so excited to have you on the show. A few weeks ago, I recommended your book. And like instantly, Jamila and our other co-host, Zach, were like, we have to get her on the show. So it is always so nice when this works. Uh, and we, we get to visit with you some. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Well, today on the show, we have a question from a letter writer who thinks her three-year-old niece may be neurodivergent and wants to inform the parents to make sure her niece is properly supported. We'll discuss if there's an appropriate way to check in with her brother and sister-in-law. Then on Slate Plus, inspired by a prompt on the Slate Parenting Facebook group, we'll be chatting about our favorite ways to promote agency and autonomy in our children. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I'm like,
2: I don't know what it's going to be. What is it going to be? It's going to be something I don't want to do. And then we do just like 100% engagement, no phones, no nothing for that activity. And then once I get
0: bored of that activity, I'll be like, what's the next card? So I let her pick like three or four
3: cards.
0: (laughs) Not only do you get a bonus segment from us every week, but you get to listen ad-free when you have Slate Plus. And it's not just us. You get to listen to all of Slate's content ad-free and you won't hit a paywall on our site. This show wouldn't be possible without Slate Plus memberships. Please consider joining if you can. You can sign up by going to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Again, that's slate.com slash momanddadplus. Okay, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting, but not before a quick break. See you back here in a second.
4: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: All right, we're back. Casey, would you like to go first telling us about either a triumph or fail of your week? I would. OK, so, I mean, I feel like
2: every week I both triumph and fail, um, <laughs> but I had a cool experience with my daughter at the doctor's office. So I was with my four-year-old and she was playing with my purse and she pulled my pepper spray out of my purse. Oh no. Which it was, I get it, right? Like it was bright pink. It was one of those like self-defense, but for the ladies. Mm -hmm. And so they made it bright pink. It's unnecessary, (laughs) but it was. But so to her, it looked like a toy. And of course, like as soon as she pulled it out of the purse, I took it from her. I said, oh gosh, that's actually not a toy, blah, blah, blah. The doctor that we were with, who I actually really, really like, laughed. And I mean, like, big laugh. Like, oh, that's so funny. Oh, my God, that's not a toy. And um, my daughter, I could tell she immediately got really embarrassed. That, like, she experienced that moment as, like, they're laughing at me. Yeah. And I was, like, rocketed back to my childhood, first of all, because I remember adults laughing at me. And it was such a weird experience because, like, you're not laughing with me. You're like, right. you're laughing at me. Like something about me not knowing what you know is like funny to you. And I could see her little eyes go downcast. And um, I checked in with her and I was like, Hey, you look sad. What's wrong? And she didn't really want to say anything. And I put her up on my lap and because I know her, I said, you know, are, are you feeling embarrassed? And she just kind of like barely nodded with her little tears in her eyes. And I said, it's because we laughed at you, isn't it? And she said, yeah. And I said, I'm so sorry. We shouldn't have laughed at you. That wasn't nice. And one of the hardest things in parenting for me is, is my commitment, and I'm not always perfect at it, but like, I don't ever want to – I never want to put the comfort of an adult above mm-hmm. like the dignity, autonomy, and respect of my child – Totally. And it's hard because like it makes people uncomfortable for you to like say out loud in front of your child like, oh, yeah, no, that person shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Like I've had a couple of instances with that where like someone's trying to hug my child and she's saying no and they do it anyways. And she's like, what just happened? And I will say in front of them like, oh, yeah, he should not have done that. That was not appropriate. And then, of course, like the adults embarrassed. And um, it's hard in those moments to like choose your child over an adult's comfort. But I really want her to have that skill so that she doesn't grow up to be an adult that feels like, you know, she has to manage the embarrassment of other people over like her own dignity and autonomy so um but i just felt really good about it and of course like you know the doctor was immediately apologized and said i'm sorry i totally wouldn't like that either and everything was fine but it still took a bit of bravery to do um and i'm really proud of myself about it
0: no that's awesome that is so awesome i with the laughing i've noticed that too like um i with this other family and so there's a lot of things that happen and the other mom and i try to check in with each other and and one of the things we've noticed a lot is that we're saying like oh, we're not laughing at you, or this is why it struck us as funny. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of having this discussion about exactly that. Like, how do we convey that sometimes things tickle us, but it is not, we don't want it to be at your expense. And Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we let you know that. And that if you don't think it's funny, it's really not appropriate for us, you know, to be laughing. Um, But I also find in some of those situations, like, I also want to boost the, the kid though to understand that like sometimes we do things and they are embarrassing but if we can see kind of the funniness in it that that is a way for us to recover too
1: me too and i've had to explain that to naima you know she's very sensitive you know uh just in general and at times you know she has experienced you know expressed very clearly her discomfort at being laughed at you know and I I just remember the first time I tried to say, well, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. And she says, but I'm not laughing, you know, (laughs) and I realized like, yeah, I guess without context, this is not funny at all to you. You know, like, why would this be funny to you? But I have let her know that like, I laugh constantly, you know, I laugh when I'm surprised, Right. Which is sometimes yeah. why, you know, like I laugh if something bad happens or, you know, like just I laugh when I'm uncomfortable. And, you know, oftentimes the things that you say may be surprising, you know, and so it's not, you know, uh, something that was intended to be hurtful, but it's understanding that it is hurtful. And so I have to be sensitive to that. But also, like, it is challenging, um But I found, like, overwhelmingly, with few exceptions, like, when I do say, like, I'm going to prioritize my child over this adult's comfort and, like, the kind of fraternity of adulthood, like, oh, we are laughing at this together. That is what adults do. Sorry, child. You know, like, to instead say, like, hey, I'm centering your feelings here and I'm sorry, you know, like, which means I'm condemning what this other adult has done, too, by, like, taking responsibility for my own actions and that can be uncomfortable that generally people get with it and every once in a while someone will just kind of be like oh what you know (laughs) but I think people tend to be more just deferential to how you want to engage your own child you know um and I found for my friends who don't have children in particular they seem to really like get it you know and kind of take it as like a cue like okay like we're going to talk to children differently in this generation of parents than previous generations have spoken to their children. There's a lot of apologizing in millennial parenting, a lot of mm-hmm. apologizing,
2: and I try to just ask myself like, where am i where am I like doing something with my daughter that like I would never do to my spouse or my friend? And I don't mm-hmm. mean in every instance, like obviously it's different. but like <laughs> sure. if my if my husband didn't know how to put a new shirt on and he came out with it backwards, like I might get laugh at that. Right. And that's right. like, okay. Yeah. But like, if my husband just like made a mistake. Right. Or like didn't know something and there was nothing really like humorous about the actual result, and I just yeah. started laughing at him because he didn't know it, like, I would never do that to him. Yeah. And that's the part of sort of like the humanity with my kiddo where it's like, yeah, I mean, there's lots of laughter and sometimes she makes a mistake and like the mistake is genuinely funny. But yeah. she tends to, like, understand the difference between, like, oh, I did something that was funny versus, like, no, like, the butt of the joke is that I didn't know what this thing was. Right.
0: Right. Well, that was lovely. Okay, Jamila, trying for fail?
1: I have a fail. So, you know, sometimes, like, you pick your kids up after school and, like, you know, you've had a long day of being, like, alone. So you haven't had a ton of human interaction. So it's not like... I've got like stories on stories of things that have happened to me during my day that I can like recount, you know? And so we're in the car, I've got, you know, about a 30 minute drive home. I'm trying to make conversation. And so, you know, I miss this person. I haven't seen her all day. She's been at school. She's been at after school. You know, of course she has no anecdotes, no notes, nothing to tell me, nothing happened, learned <laughs> nothing. No one said anything, you know, like of course no, nothing to share. And so I didn't have a ton to share either. And so I decided to tell her about the other night that I'd had dinner at Del Taco. And I was just telling her about my meal. And I was like, you know, it's not great. A, a taco truck would be better. like, But if you're hungry and, you know, you're in the mood for a taco and you can't get to something authentic, you know, it's late. It'll do. And she says... So what exactly am I supposed to do with this information?
0: <laughs>
1: I knew, I knew she was not going to be thrilled nope. by your del taco. Story. She was like, "I'm nine years old. I can't drive. I'm not going to be craving Mexican and can't get off. What do you? What do these words even mean? Like she went in on me so bad, like for like two minutes of just like, "What am I? Why?"
2: Please tell me you were like, just tuck it away for later.
1: You're going to need that. I was like, (laughs) now you know about it. I was just letting you know about Del Taco.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: all I wanted to do. I didn't know I was going to get berated like I'm sorry you're right you can't drive
0: for not offering a better better conversation I
1: mean if she had told me anything that happened during the day anything at all that would have probably started us to talking and I wouldn't have had to reach into my bag and pull out the del taco review what about you Elizabeth have you triumphed or failed
0: Okay, I am claiming a triumph. So as longtime listeners know, blood draws here with Henry, who has pandas, are a a nightmare. I think I've told stories about him hiding under chairs and screaming and more tears than I, I should shed at a blood draw that is not for me being shed. We have a very good friend here who is also neurodivergent. Um, his mom happened to mention to me, hey, we need to get a blood draw. We don't get them very often. We both um, go get them at Children's. Like, we I always get them done at Children's. They're amazing here. And she says, is there any chance that you guys have a blood draw coming up because maybe we could go together? And I was like, okay, this could either be the best decision we ever made or the worst decision because now we're going to have, like, two <laughs> kids losing their ever-loving minds. Um, so I kind of pitched it to Henry. He was like, I would love to go. Like, this is a great idea. We get there. We pull our car next to their car. This other little boy is like, will not get out of the car. And I don't know what flipped in Henry's mind, but all of a sudden, he is this incredibly empathetic child. He walks up to the other car. Hey, buddy, I know I feel this way, too. Can we just walk to the elevator if we can just make it to the elevator? Sometimes going in the door is the worst part it took a little bit more as mama to go inside <laughs> and get someone, gets him to the door. Hey, we just have to get in the elevator. I'll let you push the button. All of these things that I have been telling him are now coming out of his mouth. He, We get up to the the floor. Um, normally, the big fight for him now is putting the bracelet on. There's something about putting this medical bracelet on that makes it like this is happening. And he will still like cry, scream, whatever. Once the bracelet is on and we go back, he now has been sitting and just getting it done Puts the bracelet on, um, tells his friend, like, oh, they can put it on your ankle or your mom can hold it. Like, just just offering all these suggestions. Um, Children's Hospital amazingly was like, do we want to put the boys in the same room? You know, and his friend is like, yeah. Henry goes first, gets his blood drawn. There was a moment right after that where I thought, well, this is going to go south because now his friend needs to get his blood drawn. And it's sort of like now the attention needs to come off of Henry being this really good example. And to our other friend. And I looked at him and I said, you did such a great job. You were such a good example. We really need to focus on our friend. And I was worried because sometimes that kind of prompting triggers that like, well, now I'm in trouble. And he was just like, thanks for the reminder. And from that moment on was like how can I help? He asked the family life specialist, like, can I hold his hand? Can I give him this? Can I do this? What would be helpful? Uh, We got through the other blood draw. And then while there's some like paperwork to be done, Henry says, I really like to just leave the room right now. Do you want to leave the room with me and go get our our juice? Because there's like a little place where you go get the juice. Took the other kid juice, met me by the elevator, just all these things. And I just thought, we're going to be okay. Like, sometimes I have these moments where I just think... There are the, like tears of, we're going to get through this. And all of these things that I do are going into his head and now are able to come out of his mouth and he's able to be a good person. Now, listen, we got into the car and we had used every ounce of good energy. The minute we got into the car, he was mad about goodness knows what, his seatbelt or which seat he was in or whatever, and he screamed at me. But I just thought, that's okay. Like, I, this is an expected response. He had all of this built up that normally comes out in the hospital. And instead of that, we were able to do it here in the car. That's like a huge step. So I just, um, I always want to share these to say like, if you are going through this, it is, it it sucks and it is so hard, but to really grasp onto these, these moments.
1: That is oh. so awesome. Go, Henry. <laughs> We're slow and steady. Well, on that
0: happy note, we are going to take another quick break and we will see you back here for our listener question. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby-winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. Alright, let's dive into our listener question. It's being read as always by the amazing Shasha Leonard.
3: Dear mom and dad, I'd like your opinion on if I should raise the possibility of a child being neurodivergent with their parents. My brother has a very smart, sweet three-year-old who I don't see often in person, but we FaceTime frequently. I just saw them for the first time in 18 months and the child clearly displays a number of common spectrum disorder signs including gross motor skill deficiencies, communication quirks, sleep troubles, and behavioral challenges. I've noticed these things in the past, but they stood out much more on this visit. I'm not sure if my brother and sister-in-law don't notice these signs, since they are with their child every day, and aren't aware that they could indicate ASD, or there is some level of denial. Is there a kind of way to raise the question that these signs may all be linked to an ASD diagnosis? I assume this will be picked up on by a teacher when she enters school, but that's years away, and I'd hate her to miss out early on interventions that could help now. To complicate matters, my own child is around the same age, and I don't want this to come off as a comparison or criticism of their child or their parenting. Is this something that can be raised with family, or am I best to keep quiet and just leave them to figure it out? Thanks.
0: Casey, as our guest, will you will you take a first
2: crack at the question? I would love to. So I've been in this position twice, actually, of talking to or pointing out to a parent. And one one time I did it in a way that was probably not the best. And the other time I think it went well. Um, so I will say, you know, I'll just share my experience with it, which is going to be a little different because I actually have an autistic kid. And so what I am sharing with someone That's kind of my fallback is like talking about my own kid. And here's what I've been learning about her. And here are the things that we saw. So I one time was at one of my kids extracurricular activities and my older daughter was doing that and she was making a new friend. And from the moment I walked in, like I clocked this girl. Like, I don't know. I think just the journey with my own daughter, like I have this like weird radar now It, to me, was very obvious. And I had, my child was newly diagnosed, and I actually happened to be sitting next to the dad, and I I really wanted to, I was, like, really craving to connect with another parent that had an autistic kid. and But I remember thinking, like, how do you bring that up? But at no point did I think that I was incorrect.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And at no point did it occur to me that, this was not obvious to her parents. We had been kind of talking small talk, and I had said to him, hey, this might sound like an odd question, but is is, by any chance is your daughter on the spectrum? And to my horror, he looked at me and went, not that I know of. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I... The reason I asked is because one of my daughters is on the spectrum and they seem to have some similar characteristics. Then he kind of like said an interesting sort of like, no, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to figure some things out. My husband wanted to kill me when I told him that story. He was like, you don't just say that to people. I was like, yeah, maybe not. Um, but the second experience that I had with this was actually with a friend. And I hadn't seen her in a couple of years and I was I met up with her and her child was there and it happened again where I was like, oh, I see it. Um, And what I typically lead with is just my own kid. You know, how's things going? Oh, good. And, and my daughter got a diagnosis. And it was interesting because I thought I knew what autism looked like. And it turns out I really didn't. Like all of those kind of stereotypical things that you see – um, like, they really don't have to have any of those things for that, mm-hmm. you know, neurodivergence to be present. And so sharing about my daughter. And then she actually was able to connect the dots and go, gosh, you know, my my son does that. And I've kind of wondered there's some – so obviously this person can't lead with their own kid. However, the, the aspect of that that I think is transferable is that if you start w- really with anything like this, starting from this place of, hey – I've been learning about X and I just wanted to share with you some things that I was learning because the more I learned about it, the more I was sort of reminded of, you know, Nisa's name. That is probably the way that I would go about it with a family member. Um, and I would point to something specific at, you know, I would, Hey, I've been, t- I've, you know, I've been on TikTok so much lately and I somehow ended up on the side of TikTok where they're talking about autism and things like that. Or I happen to pod th- uh, across this podcast, I would sort of point to some place organic in my life where I had learned that information and then bring it up in that way. Um, as to whether or not you should do that, um, maybe people will disagree with me, but I think, yes, I think yes, 100% of the time, because, um, you might think oh, well, just wait till she gets into school and the teachers will notice it. And I'm here to tell you, I know so many adults that were diagnosed late in life because it wasn't seen early. Um, And so I think my own experience has me on the side of like feelings be damned, like someone's got to advocate for this kid. And obviously you don't want to do it in a way that shuts people down and turns people off. But the other aspect of that that I think... Is important is that there are parents out there that will feel as though what you're saying is there's something wrong with your kid, like like this person mentioned, and so I think being prepared for that feeling and being very delicate there, but also like making that a part of the conversation. Why would you say that? What and and say like, listen, it's. I've also been learning that it's just a it's a normal part of humanity. That some people are sort of they divert from what is typical. And you'd be surprised. Like I've been, and and I would maybe even before he talks find some adult autistic people so that he can talk about it's interesting, right? Because I I only have this one picture of autism, but I've been listening to so and so. And, you know, she like lives this wonderful life. And 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 so I don't know. That's kind of my initial impression on it. Um, I'm curious what y'all think.
1: I'm inclined, of course, to defer to your experiences, Um, and you know, I largely agree with what you had to say in terms of you know the urgency of approaching this as opposed to just hoping that later in life someone else, you know, maybe better qualified, quote unquote, will point it out to them. Um, I think it's worth acknowledging where you enter this conversation, like, why are you equipped to identify these things? I'd be curious to know, you know, I was wondering if you were an educator, or if you've known other children um, that are on the spectrum, but kind of like you as an observer, are, you know, clear on what you're seeing because what reason, Um, and I think they're going to want to hear that. And I think being prepared for them to be offended is important you know, and it's unfortunate because that's not the right answer. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing to be offended by, but because there is a lot of stigma and just a lot of um, ignorance about what autism is and looks like and and what it means for the life of someone who has it or is on the spectrum, um, that they may be somewhat hesitant to receive what you have to say. I think you're Approach just has to be just as careful as possible, right, Elizabeth? Um, y- yeah,
0: yeah, I. Uh, Jamila, I think that's great advice to be prepared for it to go horribly wrong and be okay with that before you start. Yeah. I also agree, though, that you have to say something because for me, if I did not have particularly other mothers around me kind of saying, I do not think it is your parenting. I think something else is going on with your child. I am not sure that I would have looked further for an answer for Henry. When I encounter this in Casey, I'm like you in that I have been through so much to get the diagnosis. And then I have um, my middle child is ADHD and has dysgraphia. So I am in OT. I am in (laughs) all of these places with all these doctors, with all these specialists that when I see things, it is like, oh, gosh, that for me, you know, was this this is beyond. And when I say, you know, normal behavior, what I'm saying is like something that would be fixed without some kind of other intervention, because knowing What is going on? Knowing that your child is neurodivergent gives you this opportunity to see them in a totally different light. And for me, eliminated this thing that was between Henry and I, that I have a child that doesn't want to behave or doesn't want to listen to me and shifted that to, oh, my gosh, this child is in crisis. Um, and, and he's in crisis because we are trying to provide these boundaries that do not work for him. And he needs different kinds of boundaries and different kinds of support. And once we put that in place, we get to see him in in this way where he is himself. And so I think if you are coming from that place, and both of you gave this advice, basically, from this honest place of, I want to help you help your child, not, I think something is wrong with your kid. Um, and everyone who approached me, it was from this thing of I hear you saying that you're frustrated with how X is going. And I think the solution to that may be talking to a doctor, getting an o t evaluation, getting a starting to just open these doors and see, hey, is there something going? Is there something sensory going on here? Is there something with the way they're processing the learning? You know, you can't teach your, dysgraphic and dyslexic child to read the way you taught your other two to read, because it's just not going to work. It doesn't matter. And it is not that they are not sitting down and doing it with them. Their brain doesn't work like that. Um, That kind of information... I have suggested to people sort of like, hey, have you, I hear that you're frustrated with this, like you're telling me this behavior is really frustrating and it seems to be going on and it seems like you're doing all the right things. Have you considered an OT eval or talking to your pediatrician and them echoing back basically like, well, that's not like so defensive. And I think that if that is the approach, it is kind of not your job to go any further, that it is sort of like I have placed the thought And it is it is I can't do anything that is not going to cause more damage. So just to say, okay, I just wanted to mention it and we're good. You know, I also think that if like this person obviously
2: knows enough about autism that they're recognizing some signs Mm. and so they learn that from somewhere. And, And to me, when you approach it from let me talk about these traits in comparison to a typical child that seems to make the conversation more about how your kid is wrong or different. Mm, That's such a good point. Whereas if you instead, so instead of, hey, I noticed that like when your child gets excited, like, you know, most children that age can like sit down and your child like really can't stop moving until right, like comparison to, which they're worried about, I'm not trying to compare to my kid. Instead, compare that To someone that you know that is autistic. Mm. You know, I just I have this friend and her daughter is on the spectrum. And I just I noticed the way that, you know, she does that little hand flap when she gets really excited. And it just really reminds me of the way that when my friend's daughter gets excited, she does this thing called stimming. And so comparing like to like instead of like to unlike, I think can go a long way in not coming across like you're saying something is wrong. The biggest sort of pushback that I get from parents when they don't want to pursue a diagnosis is number one, they don't want their kid to be treated differently, right? And so this happens a lot for kids whose particular spot on the spectrum is they're thinking, okay, I see that some things might be different, but I'm holding out hope that they can pass, if they can pass as neurotypical, maybe we should just let them continue on, you know, we don't want to slap that diagnosis, and then they have a stigma and then people treat them differently. That's really common as a fear. And so if they are opening up and talking about that type of the conversation, I think it's helpful to remember two things about that idea. Number one, When kids are really little, there's this really prime developmental time where interventions make a a much bigger impact, right? This little developmental window. And so even if there's not really big behavior problems or difficulties right now, we could be building in some skills at this like tender, spongy age that will prevent difficulties later. And, and so that's a helpful way of talking about, well, why would I get intervention if nothing's really wrong? And then the second part is, you know, there's this fear of what if my kid gets treated differently? But my fear was always, I don't want my kid to have a difference. And in the absence of a diagnosis, that difference will immediately be put in the bucket of a behavioral problem. And the teachers and the coaches and the authority members in their life will try to address it as if it is a behavior problem and a character problem and that they just need more discipline. And they are going to try and act neurotypical discipline onto a neurodivergent trait, and that is going to cause trauma for that child. That's right. That We've seen that over and over and over. And so, number one, it's good to know that you are not obligated to disclose your child's diagnosis to anyone, that school included, Yeah, right? That's on your own time and your child's time. If they want to disclose that diagnosis, you wait until they do maybe need accommodations. Then you can just like, this is not something you have to start handing out cards to everyone. Um, So that sometimes alleviates that fear. But also I think pointing out that if the difficulties are there, or if they ever arise, the world should not be this way, but it is. People sometimes have to be told a diagnosis in order to feel as though this is an issue that deserves compassion and accommodation rather than just drop the hammer harder. This kid needs to learn some lessons. And that's screwed up. I mean, every child, even with behavior problems, should be getting compassion and accommodation um, because there are no bad kids. Um but, you know, it, in the system that we have, it's actually more to their benefit to have a diagnosis.
0: I, I think that's such a good point. And I know I shared a lot about getting Henry's 504 when we um, entered public school last year uh, on here. And and that was such a huge fight that turned out with such great returns for us eventually to just have everything in place um, for those moments when we needed it. And Casey, I don't know about you, but I tend to now having gone through this be like an overshare like I am less worried I encourage Henry to tell his friends about his diagnosis I encourage him to share what he's comfortable sharing it and in fact um, he just shared with his little homeschool group about it for that exact reason because when he does have his brain swelling which causes him all kinds of difficulty processing things and leading to this fight or flight response, I want them to know that it is not a behavior issue, and this is not, gosh, that kid is weird or mean, right? That this is this is how he was built, and and just how he is, and and those are things that he takes steps for, but also instilling that compassion. And you're right; it would be nice if everyone could just be compassionate, but for us, it has become such a freeing thing to be able to tell tell people this. And you will need that. I mean, you're absolutely right that fundamentally you need the paperwork to start getting the the 504s, the IEPs, the like they need to see documentation. And that can be as broad or as specific as you and your doctor want it to be, but you still have to have the diagnosis to go there. And it is so much easier to get that when they are younger than as they, they get older.
2: I have now made friends, adult friends that are autistic. And when they talk about getting their diagnosis late in life, they talk about this experience of grief that they spent so many years thinking that they were just broken. Even when there weren't these external difficulties, even when there weren't you know behavior issues or, or any of that, they just always, they could tell they were different. They felt that they weren't connecting in the same ways other people were connecting. And in the absence of any other information, they all just concluded that maybe they were just weird and broken. And I want my daughter to have access to information about her identity. And I think nowadays, especially in growing, the autistic community is becoming a lot more like the deaf community in that it is an identity and there is a community out there. And I, if, and when my daughter ever does, you know, say something's, amiss. I want her to have the information about what that is, what she's experiencing, that it's not because she's weird. It's not because she's broken. It's because her brain is different than some of her friends, and in some very cool ways, <laughs> in some ways that are amazing. Um, but I I don't ever want her cut off from any information about who she is, and and the community that is available
0: to her. Sorry, I'm going to pull myself together. Yeah,
2: that. let me pull myself um,
0: together. <laughs> it's the same reason why people don't want to take the advice. Yeah, It's the same reason why I think you sh- Why you have to say something. Yeah. Um. And and the path is is full of lots of tears <laughs> and lots of you know. But I, as a result of the pandas and and where Henry has his the the brain swelling happens with this fight or flight he has it is almost like I I joke that it's sort of a superpower because he has some things that he noted he can notice so much faster than us because his brain is always on alert for kind of the dangers Um, he has these kind of superpowers for for knowing when things are going wrong or seeing things and granted some of our coaching is is bringing that down you know like not everything is a three alarm fire but it is also great that he he sees things moving like his all those senses move faster for him, and so he can see animals really quickly. Uh, when we're spotting things, he notices little bugs, little things moving. That's like an amazing skill that he can put to use for things that he loves, right? Um, but it comes with these these other things, just like all of our <laughs> all of our stuff does. Um, and I I think trying to find that for each child is so important, but letter writer. We really, really hope that this helped. If you're willing to share with us your next step, we would love to hear it. We love to have updates. Um, everyone else, if you have some advice to offer, you can send us a voicemail or email us at com. That's also, of course, where you can send us any questions of your own. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds bright and early on Monday, so be sure to tune in. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify. This episode of Mom and Daughter Fighting is produced by Christy Taiwo McEnjula and Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Casey Davis, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening.
4: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring